Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, chapter 2. Our theme throughout the month of December is come home for Christmas. And today our topic is come home to worship. You know, there is something in the human heart that uh, is like a magnet to something that we want to worship. Everybody has to worship something, somebody. And that's the way we're made. And whenever we finally come to the place that we realize that all of our worshiping of all of the things of this world, they don't even, they don't meet the need of the human heart. And we come to Christ, we finally feel like we've arrived. We finally, finally come into harbor. And uh, now we know the purpose for which we are made, the purpose of worshiping God. Chapter 2 of Matthew tells what we call the second part of the Christmas story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. For those of you who know anything about Herod the king, Herod the great, whenever he was troubled, he caused trouble. And everybody was in trouble. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, the religious people together, he inquired of them where the Messiah or Christ was to be born. And it's interesting that they knew that the answer to his question. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Evidently, they had some knowledge of this too. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Uh, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I want you to notice that here the term is young child, not infant. By this time, Jesus was probably uh, from somewhere between a year and two years old. Uh, he wasn't in the manger anymore. The Bible says he was in a house. So time had worn on. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice that, they saw again the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Isn't that odd? Here are these dignitaries from the east, and they are kneeling before a baby and worshipping him. This is incredible. And when they had opened their treasures, they, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Every time I read this last verse, verse 12, I'm reminded that whenever we worship Christ, we can never go home another way. We're always different. We're always changed. In the presence of Christ, different things happen in our life that we can't explain in any other way. Uh, 
home for Christmas. There are two accounts of Christmas in the Bible. One is in Luke, that's the first part of it. The angels come, they make their pronouncement. I want you to go find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And uh, the shepherds really responded to that. The Bible says they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and then the baby lying in the manger. Uh, several months or even years later, we find him in the house. Uh, it makes it easier in our manger scenes to put both of those events together. Um, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, remember Herod put out the word. He hated the thought of another king. You see, he was a usurper. Uh, he was not a king by birth. He was appointed by the Roman Senate to be king of the Jews, and the Jews despised that idea. And now he finds that here is a real king, somebody who's born into a royal line. What a threat to him. So he set out to destroy this threat. And so he made this decree that every child two years old and under would be killed, hoping that he could stamp out this one who is born king. Well, I heard about a family that was driving into Fredericksburg, Virginia for a Christmas season get-together. And as they passed by the Anglican church, there was a manger scene in the yard, and the youngest boy asked his mother, Mother, what is that? Well, she said, that's Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus there in the manger. A few blocks further as they passed the Methodist church, uh, where a scene was depicting the journey of the wise men, he said, who are they? His mother replied, those are the wise men who are looking for the baby Jesus. Well, the little boy, as little boys do, said, well, uh, they're not very wise at all, the young boy replied. They won't find him there. He's down the street at the other church. <laughs> you know, we make it really easy for people. We put both of those events together, and uh, it works out pretty well. But when you read the Bible, you find those, uh, those events are separated by a period of time. Matthew chapter 2, which we read part of it, opens in the suburbs of Jerusalem in Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. That was the place on the hills around uh, uh, Bethlehem that they raised the lambs for temple worship. And uh, they would be the first ones to be introduced to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, people did know at that time that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, it's sprinkled throughout the Bible. But there were actually two Bethlehems at that time. One is in the north and the other is in the south. And so when the Lord gave his ancient prophecy, he made particular care to describe which one of these Bethlehems that Christ will be born at. Bethlehem of Judah. You see the word Judah right below the word Bethlehem? That's where Christ was to be born John 7, 24 says, Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Well, these wise men coming from the east, first of all, they put feet to their faith. That's always a good thing. You know, we say we have so much faith, but what do we do with it? These people actually did something with their faith. They stepped out in faith, and the Bible says this in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't please God unless we respond to him by faith. 
You know, when we read the things in the Bible, sometimes they're a mystery to us, and we say, boy, how could that ever happen? Why is God asking me to do this? Well, uh, we step out on faith, and we see God respond as a result. These were seekers from the east, wise men, we call them. The Greek word is megos, or magoi for plural. Uh, there were at least two of them, had to be two of them. Uh, in English, uh, we use the word magi. Uh, some believe that they were astrologers. I think that's the major belief. They weren't kings, so much for the song, We Three Kings. Uh, we don't know how many of them there were. But it is convenient to say that there were three because we read the gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There could have been 12. There could have been 15. We don't know. But church tradition, as church tradition goes, uh, even gives us their names. And I won't give you those names. You've heard them before. But if you were to travel to Cologne, Germany today and go into their great cathedral there, you could find their skulls of these three wise men. Three is convenient. Um, it makes the manger scene easier to store away at Christmas time. They came from the east. Where was that? Well, most people believe it was Iran, Persia, ancient Persia. Some people even suggested that it was as far away as China. Uh, we do know one thing. They knew who they were seeking. But how did they know? These people showed up in Jerusalem and they said, listen, we're seeking Jesus. We're seeking the king. How did they know that? First of all, I think by spiritual influence. You know, spiritual influence is really powerful. You'll never know what spiritual effect you have on people. You'll never know until later, until you are known even as you are known. I believe that Daniel the prophet in the Bible had a great spiritual influence on these people coming from the east. Daniel chapter 2 verse 48 says this, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, the great prophet of God, was the chief over the wise men in Babylon. He had a position of influence. And I'll tell you what, he used his influence. You know, everybody in our church today has a position of influence. You really do. Sometimes we don't think we have much influence. We say, well, this high-profile person really has influence. But, you know, we all influence. We influence our family, most of all. We influence our co-workers when we go to work. Uh, we influence everybody, really, that we come in contact with. We influence the people that we buy our products off of and that we interact with them in business transactions. We influence them. Well, Daniel had this high position. He had great respect. And he used his influence for God. Now, most people, I think, would never even think of that when they think of Christmas. They just think that uh, these wise men followed that star in the heaven. But the Bible says there was a lot of expectation of that time. And, and this we don't think of either, that something big was going to happen. For instance, the Roman historian Suetonius said that there was a general expectation of the coming of some great one from Judea. The Roman historian Tacitus also said the same thing. The Jewish historian Josephus also said the same thing. And the Bible confirms it. 
in Luke 3.15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Messiah or not, people in Israel, people around the world were expecting something big to happen according to history. Whenever they came into town, I want you to notice in verse number two, that first word there, it says, saying. That word is in the present tense, and that simply means that they went around the town asking people. I don't know how many of them there were, and I don't know how many questions they asked, but they weren't just asking one person. They were asking a lot of people, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They knew who they were looking for. They just couldn't pinpoint his location. Uh, they follow the star. Uh, the Bible here says that the star was named his star. His star. Uh, I went to Wikipedia, you know what that is. And uh, I wanted to see just some of the names. You know, we've named a lot of stars too, scientists and astrologers today. And, uh, but before we named any of those stars, God named them. Psalm 147, verse 4 says this, He counts the number of the stars. We can't do that. He counts the number of stars and He calls them all by name. They have a name. This star of Bethlehem was called His star. Um, and so these wise men came from the east because they were influenced by these Jews that stayed behind, uh, didn't return after the exile was over. But there was also a biblical influence too. And this is how God influences people today. He influences people through spiritual influence, the impact that you have on their life for Christ. And he impacts people through the word of God. This is his, this is his never changing plan. You're familiar with Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I've sent it. We believe that the word of God has supernatural power. Now I know that's hard for us to, to really comprehend that thought in our mind, but uh, these people back during that time, according to my study, had Numbers chapter 24 verse 17. That's a prophecy of the star. It says, I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Egypt. At that time in Egypt, the star was a symbol of a divine being. And so people were looking to the sky, and when they saw that star, they started to connect the dots. A scepter, you're familiar with that. Now, that was that long pole that um, kings went around and had all the time and whenever somebody came into their presence they couldn't speak unless he made some certain gesture with his scepter that was a that was a an instrument of power uh, these astrologers had their charts I'm sure and they spotted that star and uh, here they come they come as a result of the word book the holy scriptures and they come as a result of the world book the stars. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies show his handiwork. You know, they could have just recorded the facts and added it to their body of information. They, they could have said to their scribes, hey, just make note of this. We notice there's another star in the sky. But you know, they couldn't do that. They had to do something about it. 
And you know what they did about it? They added commitment to their conviction. They added commitment to their conviction. This is going to be a long journey. Uh, and it's one thing to add feet to your faith. A lot of times we say, okay, I'm going to step out on faith. And you know what we do? We, we make one step. And we say, okay, that didn't work. They go back up on that. These people did make, everybody has to break through. Everybody has to make that first step. But what really counts are the steps after the first step. Because many of us in this church have made a lot of first steps. You know, okay, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. The new year's coming. I'm going to do something different. And, and we get out there and it gets a little precarious. And then we step back. These people didn't step back. They added commitment to their conviction. Now, commitment is something different. Commitment is for the long haul, no matter how hard it gets. They had commitment. They followed the light that they were given. And that's a message for you and me today. God gives everybody in this church a certain amount of light. Some more, some less. We don't have all the same light. But he wants us all to follow the light that he gives us. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light to my path. And so this is what we got, God requires of us. We're going to be encouraging you in the next couple of weeks to join us as we follow the light. As we walk in the light. I'm going to ask you to get a Bible reading plan and start through the scriptures. Joanne and I read the Bible every year. You don't have to read the Bible to be every year to be spiritual. You don't have to do that. That's just our, our little custom that we have in our house. We're finished. Actually, I've finished it a few days ago. I'm starting again the new year now. But we have different Bible plans for different people. And we'll be talking about that at the end of the service and then tomorrow, next week extensively. But we want to ask everybody to start following the light in our church. Because you know what happens is we try to do that and then we get out there and we say, oh, no, that's too hard. Or I'm too busy. But you know, it's the light that really makes the difference in our life. God wants to give us the light. Uh, it took a long time and it was a big and dangerous journey that they undertook. But what was their motivation? Follow the light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. They wanted to worship him. You know, there's something in the human soul that has to worship something. You know that? You and I know people and they worship their job and they worship their hobbies and they worship this and they worship that. But it all wears out. It all wears out after the new wears off. But it never wears out with God. It never, ever wears out with God. I have never become bored with God. He has always challenged me. He has always filled my soul with contentment, especially when I worship Him. And that's the very purpose for which we're made. We are made to worship God. Their destination was the Savior. And you know, real biblical faith always leads to Him. I think we get confused sometimes when we equate the church with God. You know, it's a wonderful thing when God leads a person to a church family and they can identify with that church family. They can be encouraged and they can grow and they can learn and they can serve together. And I believe this, that you can never fully realize your full spiritual potential outside the church. 
Now, I know that you've run into all sorts of people, and they say, listen, I worship God. I don't go to church. I won't have anything to do with the church. I worship God under the stars. I'm closer to God in the woods. Uh, you've heard all of that. But it was Jesus himself that said, upon this rock, I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against that church. Now, listen, churches come and go. We know that. But the church is here to stay. And church fellowship is important. But it's not the end all of your spiritual life. It's the beginning of your spiritual life. It's just one step, and it should be a step. Uh, all good churches, uh, they have a purpose. If it's any kind of a church, it's, the purpose is to lead people to Jesus, to worship Jesus and not the church. Don't worship the church. The church will let you down. We're not that good. But Jesus will never let you down because he never fails. He's always there. Well, uh, they followed the light and uh, it led them to Christ. Dr. David Murray wrote a book, Jesus, on every page of the Bible. And so as uh, when Jesus was talking one time, he said, listen, you study the scriptures. He said, they testify of me. They're about me. And the Old Testament, the New Testament's about Christ. You know, well these wise men ended up in Jerusalem. And some people have suggested that they veered off course and ended up in Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem by mistake. Um, you could make a case for that, maybe. Have you ever veered off course in your pursuit of Christ? Let me ask you that this morning. There's probably not one person here today that can say you haven't veered off course. Um, we're easily distracted. And you know, if you're not following the light that God gives you, now follow me on this, if you're not following the light that God gives you, uh, you're looking at your circumstances. And you'll get lost on the journey if you just look at your circumstances. We have to give these wise men a lot of credit, you know. They may have been the only men in history to stop and ask directions on their journey. Uh, they found their way again. How many times have I frustrated my wife when I wouldn't stop? Ladies, do you, have you had that problem with your husband? They just won't do it. I've gone for, I don't even want to tell you how long I've gone for until I turned around. Or I stopped in desperation to ask directions. These wise men, they were asking for directions. Well, let's think about the presence they gave. They gave the gift of time. I believe that time is more important than anything. Listen. It's not too cool to say to God, I'll be an absentee lover. You can't get away with that with your wife or your kids. I'll love you from a distance. We're called to love God intensely. Now follow me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's a lot of love. Uh, you know, we make much of the gifts that they brought, these wise men. But the most important thing they brought was, them, was themselves. They invested themselves, months of travel and hardship, to be in his presence. Uh, that has to be our pursuit, the presence of Christ in our life. Just think of it. That's what we're thinking about these days. Do I have the presence of Christ in my life? Am I practicing the presence of Christ? How do we do that? I think we do it by a simple word, Seek. Seek. 
A few years ago, I started to memorize some scriptures that had that word seek in because I want to seek the presence of Christ in my life. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. That's now. That's today. That's the only time we have. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. They who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Seeking the presence of God. I was reading a book, or at least a, a few pages out of David Early's book on prayer. And this is what he said. He said, we are privileged to have several dozen high school students gather in our home every Wednesday night to study the Bible. One night, we talked about what it means to go through the day with a new awareness that God is with you at school. We talked about taking God with you as you walk through the halls, as you eat in the cafeteria, and as you go about your extracurricular activities. Uh, and uh, he said, I wasn't sure that they were getting the message. But a few days later in the wrestling team, there was a large tournament, and Keith, one of the wrestlers, had been at the Bible study that week. And he's, as he walked out to wrestle a difficult opponent, I noticed that he had his right arm out and bent at a funny angle. It looked like he was escorting an invisible person. I happened to be standing with some of the coaches and school administrators watching the match, and when Keith walked out with that invisible friend, one of them looked at him and muttered, what's he doing? I gulped and rather shyly said, I think he's taking God with him. They rolled their eyes and looked at me like I was not all there. Keith proceeded to wrestle the best match of his life. And when the referee lifted his hand at the end of the match, Keith put his arm around his invisible friend and walked off the mat with a silly grin on his face. One of the coaches uh, shook his head and said, well, whatever, I, if it works. He was practicing the presence of Christ. So if you see me going around the church in the days to come like this, you'll know what I'm doing. I'm practicing the presence of Christ. If you see some of our young people doing that, they're practicing the presence of Christ. Well... Joseph here wasn't, uh, wasn't in attendance whenever these wise men came, and one commentator said that he was absent for a purpose, lest the wise men should mistake him for the true father of the child. They presented gifts to him. Uh, we talk a lot about those things. Uh, they gave him gold. Uh, that was the gift of royalty. I found out that uh, Solomon, in his reign as king, every year received 25 tons of gold. Just think of that. Kings were into gold. They really are. Uh, he received a gift of gold. That was for royalty. And then he uh, received frankincense. And that was a symbol of prayer and worship. Jesus, our high priest. And then there was myrrh. And that was used in embalming. And, and that was a message that this little baby one day, he was born to die. That was the purpose for which he came. The purpose for which Christ came was to die upon the cross for your sins and my sin. Well, remember, it was Nicodemus that brought the myrrh to embalm the body of Jesus. And they fell down and worshipped him. Now, more important than their gifts is the fact that they worshipped Jesus. I see in this story this morning three responses. 
First of all, there was Herod. Herod openly hated Jesus, and he tried to kill him with all the power that he had at his disposal. The chief priests and the religious people of the world, they were indifferent toward Jesus, uh, even though they were respected religiously. They were indifferent. They knew where Christ was going to be born, but they didn't want to go, go and see if it was true. And then there was the wise men. Now listen, let me say this today. Wise men always seek Jesus. They always do. Wise men sought out Jesus and worshipped him, even at great cost. I believe today that most people that you and I know have the attitude of indifference to Christ. They say, listen, Jesus is okay. If he's okay with you, he's okay with me, it's all okay. That's indifference. These people were not satisfied with looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about the star. They set out to follow it. And remember this, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me if you seek for me with all your heart. Never has a seeking sinner, follow me please, never has a seeking sinner and a seeking Savior ever failed to meet. They always meet. You're here today and you're seeking Christ. I hope you're not seeking religion because religion doesn't have the answer for you. Christ has the answer for you. The Lord and Him only. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven except He comes through me. I'm the only way. I'm the only road. If you're seeking Christ, you're like those wise men. Uh, listen, Christ is seeking you. I have, I have good news for you. Jesus is interested in you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than anybody in this world because he proved it by sending his son to die upon the cross for your sins. People in this world say, listen, I love you. That's good. That, that's probably conditional love. They'll love you if you love them. Jesus will love you, whatever you think of him. And that's the thing that really attracts us to Christ because he's the great lover of our soul. He will love us when no one else loves us. And so he's seeking you. The Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so if you're here in this church this morning and you're, you're saying, listen, I'm just trying to put these pieces together, that's a good thing because you're seeking Christ. That's good. And you've come to the right place because Christ is seeking you. And I'll tell you, you could meet up with him this morning. You really could. We've had our Christmas programs here at the church for three evenings. Kim Costanza in his concert. Some people responded to Christ that night. Also in our young people's program, some more people responded to Christ. Some of the young people of our church responded that night. And so if you've come to worship him, you're here in the right place. Romans 12.1 is a wonderful passage. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Why should we give ourselves to Christ? Because of what he has done for us. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to what? Worship him. You want to be a worshiper of Christ, I want you to lay it all down, okay? Lay it all down. 
You know, I think we get hung up sometimes uh, when the church says, hey, listen, can you do this? Can you give some money for some missionaries? And we say, oh, I don't know if I can do that or not. Or can you do this or can you do this around the church? And we say, oh, boy, I don't know. I'm so busy. And we, we go through all of these things. When it all begins with us laying down our life for God, that's where it all begins. Because when we lay our life down for God, everything else flows out of our life automatic. I call it the automatic Christian life. You don't even have to think about it. When you lay everything down, everything's on the table. It all belongs to God. And so, and so it's not like then after you ask yourself, what can I withhold? The thing that's on your mind is what you can give. When you give your entire life over to Christ... That is the ultimate demonstration of worship. And that's what these wise men did. They came to give their life to Christ, to be found in the presence of God. Uh, they left another way. And let me say this to you today. When you give your life to Christ, you can never be the same. You will always, from that moment in time, be different. And so let's just kind of summarize this today. If you're a Christian, maybe you've veered off course a little bit and you've forgotten that you have spiritual influence. You've forgotten that the Bible, your Bible at home, maybe it hasn't been opened in a while, has spiritual impact. And these are the tools that God gave us to impact other people around us. Our life and how God is working in our life and the Bible, how God will work in their life through the Bible. Uh, I want to encourage you today to get back on track. People are looking at you. Your co-workers where you work, they need you. You're the only Bible they read. They don't go home and open their Bible. They just look at you and they say, Wow, that person is a different person. They just look at you. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you're religious, and, but you're indifferent. And you think, hey, Christianity's cool. Just don't push too much of it on me. Listen, you know, if you're indifferent, you're lost. You're without hope. These religious leaders were not saved. They were just religious. That's all they had. And religion will never save anybody. They were indifferent. I want to encourage you. If you've been indifferent, I want you to begin to start seeking God because, because he has a plan for your life. You've heard that before? He does. But you can't get in on God's plan unless you surrender your life to Christ, unless you surrender all of your life to Christ. And when you surrender all of your life to Christ, the Lord says, okay, now, I'll give you the next step. Don't be afraid. I'll give you the next step. Don't be afraid. And you'll eventually become a person of commitment. And you'll eventually be going in the right direction. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, first let me talk to those of you who may have, may have uh, gotten off track in your life. Maybe you veered off and you found yourself in a strange place which you never thought that you would be. And you forgot that people are looking at you, your family's looking at you, your kids are looking at you, your relatives are looking at you, and at one time you had a strong influence on them, but something's happened. 
Uh, I want to encourage you to get back on track today. Seek the presence of Christ. You see, what happened is you took your eyes off Christ and you put them on your circumstances and you got, you just lost your way. That's what you did. And you just forgot about how powerful the Bible was. You forgot about that. I want to encourage you right now, come back to Christ. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you've never invited Christ into your life, I want to encourage you to come to Christ today. This is the day of salvation. Just open your heart and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm lost. I'm separated. I've been indifferent. Uh, I want to be a worshiper of you, Lord. I Forgive me and come into my heart. Make me a Christ follower. I'm seeking you today, Lord, and I know you're looking for me too. And so let's meet up here in this church today. I give myself to you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us. We pray now that um, you will bless us as we have our last song. And, and for those in our church today reaching out to Christ, I pray that this day may be the, the, the beginning of something new and fresh for them. A new search, a new, a new way of living through the power of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing our last song together. If you'd like to come and make a decision for the church, or you'd like to come in front and pray, please feel free to do that. What could we have in the night?